Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. This is going to be our 4th of July special show. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, defense, independence, fireworks, you name it, we're going to talk about it. I'm joined today, as always, by Jeff and Dom. What's going on, guys? Hey, what's going on? Nothing much. How's it going? Good, good, good. So like I said, uh, we're going to talk about defense, uh, you know, kind of in the defense of our country. We're going to talk about the top defensive plays that we think Major League Baseball has had. And then we're going to go to about independence. We're going to talk the best and worst free agent signings of all time. Who had, who had them. And then we're going to talk about fireworks. You think about fireworks in baseball, you think about home runs. So we're going to get our opinions on who had the best home run ever of all the home runs that has been hit in the entirety of Major League Baseball, who has that just number one spot. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about endings, a uh, fact about baseball. We might even talk about some rookies of the year and maybe even some fantasy baseball if we have time. Uh, you know, are you a really good GM, Dom, or are you not? Let's know. We'll, we'll find out later on. Going on to our first topic, we're going to talk about the top defensive plays and Jeff, I'm going to start with you on this one. What is your top defensive play you've ever seen in Major League Baseball? So for mine, I've got Sandy Amoros in the uh, game in 1955. Uh, he was making this running catch down the left field line off a of Yogi Berra, hit one deep down the line, and he stretched all the way out and was able to get it. And he the runners had already started to go. They were so sure that he would not be able to make the catch, and he was able to throw it to the infield and get the double play. And because of that defensive play, it saved at least one run from scoring. So it was the turnaround point for the Brooklyn Dodgers. So they were already down two games to one in the World Series. So it would actually turn them around and help them go on to win the World Series against the Yankees, four to three. Uh, they had actually... Uh, met with the Yankees for the fifth time in nine years in the World Series, and they lost every time. So I think that was a big turnaround point for them, so just because of the stakes of it. Oh, yes. Statistically, I mean, you would think that they would have lost that. And if they, that catch wouldn't have been made, they would have gone down three games to one. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a hard – we've obviously – it's only happened a few times in any of the sports where anybody's come back, but that's definitely – turn around and, and then obviously they win the world series so that's fantastic yep so that's a cool one i do have one honorable mention though just for fun copy in 2008 manny ramirez had one that was just one of the best things ever so he made a hank aaron type basket catch over his head he used his momentum to jump up on the stands and high five a fan turn around and threw the ball in to make the double play. <laughs> and that's just like one of the best things ever. <laughs> I, to, I vaguely remember that. that one. Yeah, so there was no stakes to that, but just for the fun of it, that's an awesome defensive play. A double play while high-fiving a fan in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get that on a, a picture post or something like that. Right. <laughs> All right, Dom, what do you got for your best defensive play you've ever uh, thought about in, in Major League Baseball? Mine is, I, I stuck with plays that I remember either watching or happened during my lifetime. Um, so I went with Jim Edmonds diving catch in game seven of the 2004 NLCS. The over-the-shoulder diving catch at the warning track was one of the greatest catches that I've ever seen. 
by far. Like the, the odds of anyone making that catch are slim to none. And he just made it look easy. Okay. All right. Well, I think we've got a little bit of a trend going on with uh, over the shoulder catches when it comes to defensive. Uh, obviously, this is, didn't happen in my lifetime, but you know, when I looked at the defensive plays that, that really changed the momentum of any series in any game, and obviously Jeff had years with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, so mine's the, the Willie Mays catch. You've all seen that I had multiple baseball cards throughout my you know, childhood with, with this image um, in the background. It, it's, it's on September 29th, 1954, game one of the 1954 World Series between the Giants and the Indians. I think Vic Wirtz hit a ball about 420 feet, and uh, Mays made that over-the-shoulder running catch on the warning track, immediately spun around, threw the ball, and prevented the, the runner from scoring from second. And that prevented the Indians from taking the lead in the bottom of the 10th, and then the Giants ended up winning that game and then winning the World Series. So that was just uh, you know a game-changer. Obviously, it wasn't that Brooklyn Dodgers won where it changed the momentum of the game. But if if they didn't win that game, who knows how that, that rest of the series could have gone. True. All right, moving on to our second topic. We're going to talk about independence. When we think about independence, you think about, you know, free agents in baseball and who's had the best free agency signing, who's had the worst free agency signing. So, Dom, I'm going to start with you. We're going to start with the best and then go to your worst. Who do you have? Okay, so my best free agency signing is Randy Johnson, signing with the Diamondbacks in 1999. Uh, he he initially signed a four-year deal, um, so it went from 99 to 2002. He won the Cy Young each of the first four years of that contract. I, it doesn't it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, <laughs> to be that dominant, I mean, he was in his prime. He he was a legend. After that contract, yeah, a little uh, tidbit of um, he's a pretty avid photographer, and if you've ever heard of the band Rush, he was a really good friend with Getty Lee, and he ended up being the uh, official tour photographer for Rush when they were still on tour. Obviously, I had no idea about that. Died. So it was that was really cool that he uh, he went on tour with Rush and took their picture while they played. <laughs> Amazing! Wow, Frank that's Josh awesome. Not only a great baseball player, but uh, a pretty badass photographer as well. So, huh. the best things it. ever, Rush and baseball. <laughs> For sure. All right, what's your what's your worst free agent signing? Uh, my worst. I apologize to your Red Sox, but Carl Crawford signing in 2010, seven year, 142 million dollars. I understand why they went after him because he had some amazing years in Tampa Bay. But it seemed like as soon as he signed that deal, he just forgot how to play baseball because it was it was tough to watch. Um, it was kind of shocking how far his game kind of declined uh, in his time with the Red Sox. But I think that one's definitely got to be one of the worst signings of all time. And didn't they ship him off to the Dodgers after a while, or was that who did? They yeah, I think to? it was like after. I think it was like after three or four years. Yeah, was, uh, I remember that very well. Uh, I obviously remember him playing in. Camp, I mean, thinking he was lights out, and then, uh, like you said, he lost his uh, his bat. It's going to be a trend when it comes to four free agent signings, right? Uh, <laughs> all right, Jeff, who you got as your best and worst free agent signings in Major League Baseball? 
For my best, I've got the hit king Pete Rose when he signed with the Phillies. Uh, they signed him in 1978 for four years, 3.2 mil. He was 37 at the time, and it actually made him the highest paid player in the league. But prior to that, the Phillies lost three straight NLCS appearances from 76 to 79. So they went after him, they signed him, and for his four years, he had four consecutive all-star nods. He hit 300 overall, and he helped Philly to their first ever World Series in 1980. So immediate impact and immediately helping get the team over the hump. Definitely, for sure, for sure. It's a good pick. I'm surprised I didn't think of that one, so good for you. <laughs> All right, who's you got is your worst? Uh, for the worst, I've got Josh Hamilton signing with the Angels uh, in 2012. That was a five-year, $125 million deal. So going into it, he obviously looked awesome, like one of the best outfielders out there. He won the MVP in the AL for Texas in 2010. Uh, and that was following five straight all-star appearances, too. So why wouldn't you want to pay this guy? But his uh, first year, he had a career-low batting average at 250. Then the following season, injury problems, and he actually finally got to play in the postseason 0 for 13. <laughs> so the next season, he kept fighting that injury problem with the shoulder, and he had to have surgery and he fell into drug addiction. And the Angels couldn't do anything with him, so they actually shipped him back off to the Rangers. Uh, so after only two seasons of that five-year deal, he only played 240 games. He had a 255 average. He struck out almost 300 times. And, yeah, just some rough stuff here trying to pay a guy 125 mil. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, the, the drug addiction stuff is what I remember the most about how it just, you know, once you get all that money and it just seems to, you know, gets its uh, claws into you and it's hard to claw back out of that, you know, if no pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. So my number one uh, best phrase, I mean, obviously we already talked about him a little bit with his little high five nod, but um, my best free agent signing that I've ever uh, thought of was uh, was uh, Boston Red Sox signing Manny Ramirez in uh, 2000. Um, he was coming off of three consecutive All-Star game appearances and, and he's he never finished uh, sixth or better in the AL MVP voting. So he was doing fantastic. Um, so they signed him to an eight-year, $160 million uh, deal. Um, and that kind of jump-started Boston's uh, move towards uh, winning some championships. Um, he hit 305 and 30 home runs in each of his first three seasons with Boston. Um, he led, I think in 2002, he led the AL with a 349 batting average and a 450 on-base percentage. Best year of his career really was 04 when they won the World Series. He led the AL with 43 home runs, uh, 613 slugging percentage. And you know, like I said, he went to the World Series with them, ended up getting the MVP that year. Um, I think it was seven for 17 in the World's uh, postseason that year. I think it was just, or just the World Series. One home run, four RBIs. You know, he, he had at least one hit in all 14 of his postseason games. He was just phenomenal. And thinking in the seven seasons with Boston, he had a 312 batting average, 274 home runs, 868 RBIs. He made the All-Star game every season and won Silver Slugger, you know, I think all every year, but the first year and the last year he was with Boston. So median impact, won the World Series twice. I, I, you know, that says a lot about what you can 
add to a team, and, and he definitely did it. And then sticking with the Red Sox, that's also my worst signing, and I think the Red Sox are still paying this guy. Not quite sure, but I'll have to look at the you know look at the, the tape on that. But Pablo Sandoval, Kung Fu Panda, you know they signed him to a five-year, ninety-five million-dollar contract in 2014. Um, at one point in time, he was considered like the best third baseman in in Major League Baseball. He was just phenomenal. He was a World Series hero in San Francisco. Um, so they handed him that huge contract, and to say it went bad is a complete and utter understatement. He was never in shape. His bat stopped working, which is a trend of what we talked about. He was even worse on the field, and they designated him for assignment after, I think, like three seasons. And two of those three seasons, he only played like 35 games. And then when they shipped him off, they were still paying. I think he went back to the Giants, and the Red Sox were still paying like three quarters of his contract, which is outrageous to me. Like, And then he gets back in shape and does good. It's just like, <laughs> it reminds me of like when Jacoby Ellsbury, talking about the Red Sox, but when the Jacoby Ellsbury went to the Giants, or I'm sorry, the uh, the Yankees, he did phenomenal in Boston, and, and then went to the Yankees for seven million, or I'm sorry, seven years and 153 million, and completely just crapped the bed and and never produced anything. So, I don't know. Any other uh, notables that you guys think of before we move on? Yeah, for worst, uh, I also got uh, Danny Nagel when he uh, signed with the Rockies in 2000. That was a five-year, $50 million deal. Uh, his first season immediately had an ERA over five. Uh, the next season, another ERA over five. He lost 11 games. He allowed over 25 homers in both those seasons. And then the following year, he had injury problems, and it only limited him to seven games. Then he would go on to miss the next season with elbow surgery. And then his final year of his contract, Colorado avoided his uh, final year because he got caught uh, soliciting a prostitute and was arrested. That's a pretty bad signing right there. Yeah, so. <laughs> I got one. Bobby right. Benilla. Yeah. Bobby Benilla contract. Still getting paid after what the Mets pretty much have paid him not to play the 2000 season every year for the past 22 years and they're going to be paying him through 2035 should be a national holiday it it honestly should be a national holiday are you considering that a bad contract or a good contract oh yeah that's got to be one of the that's got to be one of the worst signings of all time the fact that they're still paying this man or will have paid this man 35 years to not play a season uh, it so by the time that they're done paying him his original contract he signed a, a was it a four-year or five-year deal for $29 million? By the time that they play him, if you factor in the four years that he actually played for the team and the 35 years of them paying him $1.1-something million, they would have paid him like $60 million. So instead of paying just the $29 million contract that they agreed to, they've paid almost four times more than that just for him not to play a season 22 years ago. Did you know that he signed the similar contract when he played with the Orioles and the Orioles had to pay him uh, like a little over 500 K a year until I think uh, like 2030 or something like that. So that's fantastic. He gets almost like $1.6 million, close to $1.7 million every, every July 1st to not play baseball. You know, I, if I, 
I never got into sports, but if I need to negotiate a contract, I want his agent to negotiate any contract that I have to come up with. Agreed. All right, moving on to our third topic, we're going to talk about fireworks and we're going to talk about the greatest home run ever hit. And obviously this conjecture is just, you know, our opinions. So, uh, Jeff, I'm going to start with you on this one. What the best home run you believe has ever been hit? All right. For me, I think it's a given. Uh, the shot heard around the world. So, Bobby Thompson. And uh, game three of a three-game series for the NL pennant, you know, the Giants, they clawed their way all the way back to fight the Dodgers. And they were down four to one entering the ninth. So this was surely they were about to blow this. And we all know the famous audio was actually recorded by a Brooklyn fan because they wanted to hear the Dodgers' uh, victory and the sound of the Giants weeping. So... One run was able to score in the bottom of the night. They had two on base, and Bobby Thompson stepped up the bat right before he went out there. The Giants manager told him, if you ever hit one, hit it now. And he sure did. Walk-off win, stunned the Dodgers, and we all know the audio. Russ Dodgers calling, Giants win the pennant, Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. I mean, it, that's one of the best home runs ever. That's Pretty up there. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, Dom, what about you? What is the best home run in your eyes ever hit? I, I was thinking about putting the shot hurt around the world, but I ended up going with uh, Bill Mazeroski's home run in Game 7 of the World Series against the Yankees. Walk-off win to give the Pirates their first World Series championship since 1925. And knocking off the Yankees team that had been to the World Series, what, I think three out of the past four years at that point. It was just an incredible moment, and um, I remember hearing about it a lot from family because I have uh, family south of Pittsburgh, big Pirates fans. Um, so that's kind of where my Pirates fandom came from. But, yeah, the the Mill Mazeroski home run, it's got to be up there. Yeah, well, it's funny because both of yours are, are World Series related and, and, you know, obviously very important in all of that. Um, mine – not I mean, more World Series related at all. wasn't even in the postseason. wasn't even in uh, you know October or anything like that. It, this was actually in uh, April. Was when this was home run was hit, um, and I had the the uh, very good luck of meeting this individual uh, three times for my job. Uh, so I got to sit there and shake his hand and just say thank you for everything you did for the game of baseball, and that is hammering Hank Aaron. And that number one home run to me is the April 8th, 1974. There is a new home run champion of all time, and it is Henry Aaron. Um, you know, leading up to that, you know, those, that year, I mean, he was three shy in the 1973 season. And so uh, it just took him three games to, to beat that record. And it was just fantastic. If you, Obviously, we have the or the audio and the video of that, but just him running around the bases and the, the fans all jumping out of the stands to mob him. It just to me, it personally, I that home run changed everything. You know, especially it was an African American that, that took over Hank Aaron or um, Babe Ruth's record. It was just um, you know the fact that it was was plausible and it actually happened, and that somebody you know since 1927 
when Ruth set that se- you know, set the record. So it, it was just phenomenal to me. That's just that home run that will go down in the ages as being one that changed the game and one that showed that, you know, it's possible that we can have all these home runs. Barry Bonds can do it and all that. Asterisk, Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I have one honorable uh, mention, though. Copy. We all love to hear these honorable mentions. So 1997 in Cleveland, Mark McGuire hit a home run that hit pretty much the top of the scoreboard in then Jacobs field, uh, now progressive field. Just the, the amount of strength that it, it took for him to hit pretty much the ball out of the stadium at the, the highest point, just absolutely impressed. But it's, it's up on YouTube. If you guys ever get a chance to, to check it out, but I, who knows how far this ball could have went if the scoreboard wasn't in his way. Cause yep. that, that ball would have just kept going and going. I, I don't think it would have landed at this point. Well, there are definitely a lot of uh, home runs out there that could have made this list. Uh, and if you guys are listening, you guys can anything that we missed, make sure you put it in the comments or on our Facebook page, uh, Instagram and stuff like that so that you can uh, see if your home runs stack up to ours. All right, moving on to our next topic. We're going to talk about the possible AL or NL Rookies of the Year. So, Dom, I'm going to let you lead on this one. What do you got? So I think AL Rookie of the Year, I think um, it, or Guardians left fielder Stephen Kwan should be top of the list at this point. Um, might be a little controversial of a pick, but the year that he's had, the, the start that he had to the season, then he went to a little bit of a slump, but the fact that he was able to work his way out of the slump and he's playing as good as he was earlier in the season at this point, I think it's very impressive. He just, just a pure contact hitter. Doesn't strike out at all. I'm just so impressed with how he plays the game. Uh, so I, I think if I had a vote in AL Rookie of the Year, I'd be going for Stephen Kwan. And then NL, a little bit of a tougher pick, but if I had a pick right now, maybe I know he was just called up to the majors, but maybe O'Neill Cruz, if he can keep up playing how he is, if he can keep it up for the rest of the season, I think he'd probably be the clear favorite. All right, Jeff, uh, what do you got? What do you? What are your thoughts on all of this? Uh, for the AL, I I mean, I've been very impressed with Kwan, but for me, J-Rod out there in Seattle, so fun. I mean, he is killing it right now. I mean, he's hitting dingers. He's got that just that team energy that you love to see, him and Jesse Winker and all those guys with Seattle been hitting it off. So I like uh, Julio Rodriguez out there. Okay. And for the uh, NL, I'm yeah, I agree. It's not super – uh, obvious for me right now. I think maybe maybe you could go with Mackenzie Gore for the Padres. Um, Padres doing pretty well, uh, even though they just lost pretty rough series to the Dodgers. But yeah, I think I'd have to go with them. Okay, all right. Well, that's good topics. Uh, I don't honestly. Uh, I don't. I I think it's way too early for me to to give an opinion on it. So. Uh, Maybe this is definitely going to be an ongoing topic for us and uh, we can discuss uh, moving forward and, and on until um, obviously they, the award season is upon us. So Dom also had a little uh, little tidbit about his fantasy league that he wanted us to either berate him for or praise him for. So <laughs> Dom, Dom, please explain yourself. Yeah, so – this league that I'm in, so I have two fantasy teams. One team doing really well. This other league that I did, I recently did a trade in. 
not doing so well, had some bad luck, lost some close games. But I recently traded Brandon Nemo, um, the center fielder for the Mets, for Willie Adamas and Kettle Marte. What do you guys think of that trade? That's not as bad as I was expecting. Yeah. For, for <laughs> reference, I, I still have Cody Bellinger on my bench. So it's not a complete bench loss. probably where he'll stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's not horrible. I like Cattell Marte a lot. Um, yeah, for fantasy, though. I, I was more, more interested in picking up Willie Adamas because he's having, fantasy-wise, he's having a great season. Yeah, that's. I'm surprised they sent him off. I'm surprised you're getting two in return. But yeah, Dominus, man, he's all the strength. Yeah. So, yeah, good on you. Okay. So, like a, a B, B minus. Yeah, I like probably B plus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually right around that same. I think that the Adonis is the, um, the the positive on that. Marte's. Uh, I'm not. For or against, but that definitely a quality trade. So uh, good for you. All right. Well, thank you guys. It did a little bit better than I thought that I would have. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were expecting a train wreck. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving on to the standings, we're going to start with the American League East, and you've got the New York Yankees at a 58 and 22 record. They're six and four in their last ten. You got Boston in second place with a 44 and 35 record. They are also six and four in their last ten. You got Toronto right behind the Red Sox at forty-four and thirty-six. They're four and six in their last ten. A little bit of a slump. And then Tampa Bay at forty-three and thirty-six. They are six and four in their last ten. And Baltimore rounding it out at thirty-six and forty-four. They are five and five in their last ten. Moving along to the American League Central, we've got Minnesota forty-five and thirty-seven. They are six and four in their last ten. You've got the Guardians at a 40 and 36. They are four and six in their last 10. You've got the White Sox, uh, 38 and 39, and they're five and five in their last 10. Pretty much 500 ball for all them all around. You got Detroit, 30 and 47. They are four and six in their last 10. And you've got the Royals, 29 and 48. They are also four and six in their last 10. Moving on to the American League West, Houston has a 51 and 27 record. They're eight and two in their last ten. You've got Seattle at thirty-nine and forty-two. They are seven and three in their last ten. Texas thirty-seven and forty. They are five and five in their last ten. And you've got the Angels at thirty-seven and forty-four. They are four and six in their last ten. And rounding it up the bottom, Oakland at twenty-six and fifty-five. They are three and seven in their last ten. Moving on to the National League, you have the Mets at a forty-nine and thirty. They're four and six in their last 10 in Atlanta coming up real close behind them. They're 46 and 34 and six and four in their last 10. You get the Phillies at 41 and 38, five and five in their last 10. You've got Miami at 37 and 40. They are six and four in their last 10. And you've got Washington at 29 and 52. They're four and six in their last 10. Lots of four and six and six and four records going on right now. National League Central has Milwaukee at 46 and 35. They are seven and three in their last 10. St. Louis, 44 and 36. They are five and five in their last 10. You got the Cubs at a 32 and 47 record, six and four in their last 10. You got the Pirates, 32, 47, three and seven in their last 10. And you've got the Reds continuously uh, 
beating the odds, and they are 27 and 51 in their last 10. Uh, looks like that's what nine games above what we thought they'd get. So good for them. Uh, four and six in their last 10, and moving on to the National League West Dodgers, 49 and 29, six and four in their last 10. You got the Padres at 47 and 34. They are three and seven of their last 10. Got San Francisco 40 and 37. They are two and eight in their last 10. Arizona 35 and 44. Also Colorado at 35 and 44. Arizona's three and seven in their last 10. And Colorado is five and five in their last 10. So guys, what stands out to you with the standings right now? What are your surprises? What are your oh my god, I can't believe that's happening. So start with you, Jeff. Yeah, I've got the Braves. They've shrunk. Uh, the Mets lead all the way down to what is it, I think two games now. So they're really gunning. I mean, the Mets at the beginning of the season, they really seemed like they were just going to run away with it almost the way that the Yankees did. So like looking at the Braves and uh, also like looking at your Red Sox, they had one of the best months ever for a team. You know, they've won over 20 games. Was it this last mm-hmm. month? And yep. they're still 13 games back. That's just unbelievable. You can be that dominant with every other team, but yet that's you, you, just—I mean, it's—it's it's the Yankees to lose this year. You know, I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, Dom, what about you? What do you got? What are your surprises? What uh, What do you got? I'm still shocked at the Chicago White Sox being under 500. Um, looking at this team on paper, I thought, okay, they're off to a slow start. They'll figure it out. Um, they haven't figured out their, like you mentioned earlier, they're still five and five in the last five or last 10 games sitting game under 500. The guardians are, you know, somehow sticking with it. They're playing a lot better than I think anyone really thought that they would have. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm also impressed by the Braves. They've looked really good. Um, even the Phillies, it looks like getting rid of Joe Girardi is kind of what they needed. They're still, you know, I don't think they'll be a playoff team this year, but they're they're playing some good ball. They're back above 500, and who knows what the rest of the season holds. But I think we're starting to get a clearer picture of, you know, what the rest of the season is going to play out. So you brought up the Braves, and so I kind of I got to ask this because it just popped in my head. So um, the rumors that uh, Freddie Freeman had uh, fired his agents recently in the last week or so because he found out when he went back to Atlanta when they played that his agent had not told him Atlanta's final offer. And he ended up signing with Dodgers and that it's rumored that he said that he would have signed with the Braves if he would have known what that offer was. So what do you guys think about that? I think that agent should be facing some legal issues and, if I were that agent, I wouldn't show my face around Atlanta ever again. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking. Uh, I mean, we saw all the emotion that Freddie Freeman had in that series, uh, you know, crying on the field, crying in the, in the, talking to the press uh, before the game. You know, there's no crying in baseball, but maybe for Freddie Freeman there is. Yeah, I mean, he's just an all-around stand-up guy, and it almost, I mean – We've talked about why he went to to um, the Dodgers and you know his family, his dad, you know all that. A lot of reasons why he signed with the Dodgers, but you know to have your heart be you know so so much in in the Braves organization, and then to find out that that could have stayed the way it is, and you would have gotten what you wanted from that organization, and 
and somebody lied to you and just took that away from you, it's it's it's, it's really heartbreaking. Do you guys think he'll get traded? No, I think that he's the type of guy. The he's that good of a guy that he'll stick to his obligations and he'll, um, he'll you know, unless the Braves have something amazing in the trade offering, you know what I mean. And and but I just don't see him. I don't see him going anywhere. I think he's going to stay there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, moving on to our final topic. It is the one fact about baseball. Something that you guys might not know, and we always try to stump each other with something. So. Um, so it's not really a trivia question, but I was uh, just looking through some like interesting stats and stuff today, and I learned that CC Sabathia in 2008 led both the AL and NL in shutouts. Wait, <laughs> yeah. That? So he remember he was with he was with the Indians. They traded him in 2008. At the point that he was traded, he was leading the AL in shutouts. And then once he was traded, his stats didn't really carry over. He you know, pretty much starting fresh. At the end of the season, he also led the NL in shutouts for the season. Even though he only played half a season in each league, he led, the, he led both leagues in shutouts. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's just it's what I love about baseball that stuff like that can happen, and you know, never planned, never tried for, but it works out that way. Right. All right, Jeff. What about you? Well, I decided to kind of go with the theming for this episode. Uh, Do you guys know what team actually had the first ever fireworks play at a professional baseball game? Bastard! I can't believe I didn't think of this. Like, (laughs) oh man, such a good thing. Um. First team to ever have fireworks. Fireworks has been around for a long time. Um, right. You know, I, I got to go with the big money, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go Yankees. I think that they had the money at the time, um, and I think that's. I'm going to go with money. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Not the Cardinals either. Actually, it is of course my Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, that was. I was thinking Reds, and I was like, mm, no, that'd be too easy to guess. Right. I tried to make it a little bit of a softball, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, it was May in 1935. Uh, it was actually the first ever MLB night game at Crosley Field. They hosted the Phillies, and Rossi's Fireworks uh, actually put it on, and to this day, that company still puts on the fireworks for Cincinnati. I guess the uh, grandson took over. Hmm. That's crazy. Sticking with the fireworks thing, I, I like it. That's awesome. So, mine is, is kind of funny. It's it's a little painful, you might say. Um, so, what's the odds of uh, a batter hitting uh, a foul ball two consecutive balls in a row? Yeah, fairly high. Yeah, fairly probably. High. High. All right, and the, where those foul balls go, they they go into the stands a lot of times, and they they hit someone. You know, especially. Back in the day, you know, in the earlier part of baseball before the netting and stuff like that, you know, they hit somebody. So what's the odds of that foul ball, both of them hitting the same person twice? Uh, probably uh, pretty low. You got to so be pretty unlucky for that to happen to you. Rick Ashburn. Breaking twice. <laughs> Rick Ashburn hit two consecutive foul balls that hit the same woman twice. The, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies stars foul pitches hitting the woman in the stands 
breaking her nose. And as the medics were carrying her off on a stretcher, Ashford's no. second ball oh, no. hit her again. In the nose that was already no. broken? No, probably just somewhere in the body. But how? what are the odds That's... of that? Oh, my God. I just looked at that. I said, that is not true. That, yeah, right. that, that reminded me of those Scott Sterling uh, YouTube videos where he just keeps getting hit in the face over and over again. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's so unlucky. Luck ever. <laughs> no, I, I hope she's okay. Yeah, I, never going to a baseball game again. I would nope. <laughs> right. You get not even literally. <laughs> you get hit with foul balls every time you go to a game. <laughs> All right, that does it for this edition of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. We hope you are having a great 4th of July. Make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and make sure you download us wherever you get your podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Apple Music, all those places. And until next time. Baseball is America's pastime. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of On Deck as much as we have. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at deep.dive.sports or download us through Amazon, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. As always, we are on deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.